0: Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers podcast, where we focus on the stories of large scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Winning Digital Customers podcast. Good friend of mine is with us today, Helen Yu. She is, man, introducing her is going to take me half the podcast, so I'm going to try to do the short version. She is, among other things, the author of the Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Ascend Your Startup, a fantastic book, not just for startups, and we're going to definitely talk about that today. Uh, she's also the CEO of t Advisors, and, she'll, she'll, Advisory, and she's going to talk to us about that. She's a frequent speaker. She speaks all over the world at places like South by, South by Southwest, Money 2020, and others. She is an adventurer who climbed Mount Everest. I think she's the only person I know who's climbed Mount Everest. Um, She advises multi-billion dollar companies of all stripes, including companies like Oracle and Adobe. She's a top Twitter influencer. She was a top 10 digital transformation influencer from IBM. She was ranked a top 10 thought leader by Thinkers 360 and more and more and more. So I'm gonna stop there. I think you get the idea. Extremely, extremely uh, knowledgeable, experienced influencer in this space. I'm really privileged to have her on the show today. Helen, welcome. And is there anything you wanna add to your background introductions for the folks listening?
1: Hey, thank you, Howard, and such an honor to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, so many things I wanna talk about, but let's let's start with your book. Um, I know this book has done really, really well. Wall Street Journal bestseller. A lot of people have been reading it. Can you just maybe start and tell us a little bit about what what inspired you to write this very interesting book, which kind of talks in parallel about success and creating new products and bringing them to market? And what it was like for you to climb Everest, and it's a very original approach to writing a business book. Can you tell us a little bit about that, and what led you to not just want to write a book in general, but but a book this way because it's really unique?
1: Thank you, Howard. Um, I want to talk about the why behind ascending Mount Everest. Base camp was to keep a sacred promise to my grandmother, and uh, to that was to leave her ashes in the tall on the tall mountain. So I felt unstoppable. I made up my my mind that nothing would really hold me back from my climb. And my destination started out, not really on any map, it was out in my mind, making that decision to write the Ascending Your Startup uh, was no different. So I felt it was yet another way to honor the grit and resilience grandma taught growing up, right? Honor the grit and resilience it takes to scale a startup or build a business is no different either.
0: Well, I have to say, when I read that part of your book, I thought to myself, well, your grandmother said to spread her ashes on a tall mountain, but you go and pick the tallest mountain. So I think that says something about you and the accomplishments that you've had, because uh, there's a lot of tall mountains that aren't Mount Everest. So that's amazing that you uh, that you made that trek.
1: Yeah, I know that my grandma, you know, really never asked anything from anybody in her entire life. Uh, before she passed away, um, her ask, right? She said three things to me, three, stay special, make the world proud, and spread my ashes on the tall mon- mountain. I knew she did not mean to bother me to spread her ash. I knew what she really meant is for me to grow up to stand tall without her being around, right. That was why why I decided to take her ash to the tallest mountain, to honor, honor her, and honor that great resilience she taught me because it's not about, um, it's, it's, it was a mission to me. That was, uh, I know that was, I would make her proud, make the world proud in that manner.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and I know you've worked with a lot of big brands like Oracle and Adobe and others. What, what prompted you to wanna to write specifically about startups?
1: Um, because really regardless of the size of the company, there's one thing in common. Right, every single company, regardless of size, they have gross disconnects. If you think about it, and so, and I also think that as company they go through all the three stages, right, from idea to uh, a a product and product to market, market to scale. The larger size of the company, they're just they define a well defined uh, product. They have well defined go to market strategy. They're trying to leverage that well-defined go-to-market strategy to scale. The smaller companies or startups they're trying to figure out what the repeatability is, right? So to me, I think this book applies to any size of company. It really uh, for the leaders to look for whomever to look for the inspiration in finding a new way of thinking, identifying some of the disconnects, right, and talk about. Um, what are the blind spots? All of us as human, we have our blind spots. And then that, you know, what are those that prevent them from scaling? For example, if you have a business goal, right, you are trying to figure out how do you align your execution strategy? Uh, how do you align your execution with the strategy? Then you need to know um, where you're at today, right? And then what kind of skill set requires to achieve that goal, and do you have the skill set of the you know among the current team that to achieve that goal, and then if you don't, how are you going to bridge the gap, skill set gap, and then if you have your product team identified or product strategy identified, and how do you make sure you um, your customer right? Do you understand your customers? I talk about the customers will tell you what you want. Uh, even though you're a gigantic customer, right, even Amazon need to understand who their customers are and buyers are and their buying behavior and what matters to them in order for them to shift their strategy or execution to better serve their customers. And then there's always that processes that required or measurement that required um, for these large companies as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I see that Amazon does is they're solving problems for customers. You know, you talk about in your book, that's a key theme, you know, design things that solve problems. And I feel like they really do have insight because all of a sudden they realize that, I don't know, when someone wants to order an auto part, they're trying to figure out if it matches their car, if it's the right one for their car. And so they have a whole method where they remember which cars you have. And if you go to an auto parts page, it says this fits your Subaru Forester or this will fit your, you know, GMC Acadia or whatever, or that it won't. And just that even that simple idea of a feature that is solving a product for a problem for a customer, a common problem requires first that you have the insight right? and realize and think about, oh, when people are shopping for this type of product, here's one of the problems they're trying to solve. And they could read through a bunch of documentation and try to find a part number or they, or you could make it easier for them. So I, I, I couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah, you're right on, Howard. You know, when it comes to customer experience, it's all about value exchange. Right. The key is to understand what value means to the person you interact with. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes when you talk to the CEO, the value perceived value by the CEO may not be the same value perceived by the people who are on the team. So you have to be very mindful about who you're interacting with. And then how do you make sure you align? Right. I think you in your book talk about organizational alignment. You don't just take what you hear from the customer and face on face value, you also analyze, right? Understand, okay, here's what the CM, CMO wants. Here's what the CIO really critical for the CIO. How do I align their needs to make sure translated into actionable insights? And then you said, here's what I heard from all of you. Here's the three things that's prioritize priorities we had to take actions on go back and revalidate with all of them, each of them, right? To make sure they're informed before you just go invest in what you're trying to do. And that's really how you can really provide better customer experience and then make that mutual, I would say, mutually beneficial investment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, wa- I want to go back to something you said earlier because I want to really underline it and-, and ask you to talk about it a little bit more. I-, I was really struck by this. In a way, simple, but I think really profound idea in the book, which is it's one thing to have an idea, but then you have to turn the idea into a product. And then it's one thing to have a product, but you have to turn that product into a market. And then it's one thing to have a market, but then how do you scale the market? And that these things are discrete, different things. And I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of times, whether it's a startup or whether it's a group within a large enterprise bringing something new to the market, it all gets mushed together and thinking, oh, we got this idea. Let's bring, let's, how many, how many times you hear the phrase, let's bring our idea to market, you know? Um, and your point is, well, wait a minute. Idea, product, market, scale. So can you talk a little bit more about that model and the barriers? Like you talked about some of the disconnects that happen. You mentioned one disconnect that I think you were saying to get from, from market to scale, but maybe go back to the beginning and what are the disconnects of getting from idea to product, from product to market and, and then from market to scale?
1: Yeah. So as a company move from idea to product, the first really disconnect is product market fit disconnect. Right? people really don't realize this really what re- refers to aligning your product design with market demand. I don't know if you remember you're old enough to remember Blackberry, right? Blackberry when that I'm certainly
0: off. old enough to remember. BlackBerry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old enough to remember the Apple two plus. Okay. So. <laughs>
1: So when blackberry came out everyone was jazzed about that phone because at the end of the day if the market is not ready for your product um no matter how great the product is it may not last long enough right you have to think about so that's the first one product market fit disconnect i talk about in the right. book and then the second one is we all know minimum variable product everybody in the you know the tech world knows what that means but what's the most important is the minimum variable repeatability disconnect, right? Because once you have defined your minimum variable product, you need to know that that needs to be really marketable, right? But then most people understand, you know, how do you make it marketable? What is your minimum variable team? Because oftentimes there's a reason that 90% of startups startup fails or even larger organization they fail because they invest too early on something, they hire an army of people to do something that they feel like that's the top priority for the company before they even experiment if that's the right thing to do. And then this is why I talk about focus on minimum viable um, product, but having your minimum viable team to turn that into minimum viable repeatability before you go invest in an army of people to further that experiment, right? And then so that's like there's trial and error through that process until you figure out that repeatability, then you can start scaling. But the most important disconnect here is the voice of customer disconnect. When you climb Mount Everest, you know, you people don't just go from the very bottom all the way to, you know, five summits to the very top, right? What you do, the reason there's a base camp because you go to Summit 1, you come back to base camp then you go to summit two you come back to base camp that process you know allows you to acclimate right your physically to that high altitude you'd be shocked most of people the people who are super fit may not make that right people want with me five of us i was the only one who made it i was the weakest not the most fit one among all of them but you know it, it's very interesting because you have to really follow. You have to do what the Sherpa tells you to do because the Sherpa is super experienced. You hire the Sherpa, you better listen to them, and right? you better you know trust that whatever they tell you not to take a shower, you know in t- you th- that many days, and then you better follow their instruction or you fail. And our, our friends, my friends, they fail because they did not follow the instructions when they were told not to do certain things. But the, the thing is the same with voice of customer. you Your customers will tell you what they want, right? You have to listen. You have to know how to turn those into actionable insights. That's so critical. You, you need to understand um, what to listen for. You need to create an active listening path so that you can constantly listen and then you can share what you heard from the customer with your product team, with your marketing team, with your go-to-market team. So you leverage what you learn from customer into your overarching strategy, into your day-to-day execution. And then the- That's
0: fascinating. First of all, I had no idea that you had to go up and then down. That sounds exhausting. So you go from the base camp up and then you go down and then you go up again and then you go down. So you're actually climbing the mountain like four times.
1: Yeah. There's only one guy who did that straight, but you know, we're not professional climbers, even though we are, you know, they don't recommend you to do, right?
0: You know what, it makes me think, and I, I even listening to you talk, makes me see even more parallels between this kind of business visionary type and someone who climbs Everest, because in both cases, I think you have to be a very confident person. You have to be a very confident person to go out there and create a startup. Most people don't, right? They get a job. And you have to be a very confident person to show up and say, you know, I wanna climb Everest. And, and, but what I hear you saying is, you know, and confident people tend to, to think they know. I mean, isn't that the definition of being confident, right? You're like, oh, I know what to do. But there are times when you need to be led. You know, you need to know when to lead and when to allow yourself to be led. And what I think I hear you saying is that these people, I would assume anyone who shows up to Everest is a kind of a leader themselves, unless they got dragged there, I guess, by a spouse. You have to come with me, otherwise, uh, and yet, then there's a time you have to set aside, saying, I'm the visionary, I'm the leader, I know what to do, and listen to the people who've been there before and not be so confident and instead be more humble and willing to listen and, and do what you're told.
1: That's a salient point, Howard. You're exactly right. A true leader does not have to be in having the loudest voice in the room all the time, but you know it's really important for the leaders to um, to listen, be decisive, and then to also um, be accountable for their decision. Uh, and so, those are the really good qualities in um, in business as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit more about some of the other disconnects um, to go from a product to a market. I guess mm-hmm. that's when you were talking about some of the disconnects where people don't see maybe is there even a disconnect to getting to ideas is that part of what we're talking about even starting there with customers and understanding that the even the idea because of course usually you don't start with an idea you usually start with either a lot of ideas or if you do start with one idea it might be the wrong idea any thoughts or advice on that topic how do you how do you start and figure out if you're its a startup what should be the core idea or if you're working in a large enterprise and you're on a product development team what should be the basic idea that we then decide to turn into a product, into a market that we hope to scale?
1: Yeah, I think I mentioned about three disconnect earlier, right, that's just walk them through product to market fit disconnect, it was number one. Minimum variable mm-hmm. repeatability uh, disconnect was number two. And then the third one I talked about, voice to customer disconnect. There are two more mm-hmm. disconnect I talk about in my mm-hmm. book. Um, the fourth one is process disconnect right this process is going to you know the larger organization you're in the more processes they are so it depends on the size of the company you do not want to be burdened by the with the process and then to the point that you sacrifice the speed of customer experience right or speed of customer the quality of customer experience but you do need to have some processes when you have a large organization who owns what is oftentimes very critical. If you don't well define, you know who really owns the responsibility of a customer, especially when there's interacting with customers, right? And then, so that is so critical. And then you want to systemize, systematize your success, right? That's the way to systematize your success. And then the last disconnect I talk about is measurement disconnect, right? How do you measure each function Performance so that success is defined consistently across your company. One of the reasons we're really successful, I was a part of the Marketo, um, uh, you know, the shifting Marketo from startup to scale up company, right? They are now being part of Adobe, you know, through the acquisition, multiple acquisitions. Now they're part of Adobe. One of the things that we did really well as an organization was really having the Clear, defined responsibility, well-defined responsibility by cross-functionally, right? Uh, Our CEO and co-founder Phil was super clear about what he wants to accomplish in entire company level. Customer NPS was a commonly shared metrics across every division. Regardless if you're an engineer or your customer success manager or your sales, we all drive toward the same MP, like uh, same customer like success, right? To make sure customers are happy, make sure our NPS score is where you know our target is. So that really, really um built a culture of accountability around customer experience and made a huge difference in our longer term success. Uh, But back to your earlier question, you talk about what if people wanted to start a business or moving from idea to product, what kind of disconnect they may have? You know, the, the biggest challenge I had when I started my company, I did not even know where to start. I did not know what questions to ask, because in today's environment, if you know what questions to ask, you can always Google find the answer. This is why I wrote my book, because... It is decision framework is for people who wanted to set out to start their business to think about what kind of questions should I even ask as I you know get on this journey. That's why if you read this book, there are 26 questions. I use 26 questions because your marathon runner is 26 miles, right? So if you have this book, at least you know what are the basic questions I have to ask before I go take the risk and start my business. If you are a large enterprise leader, same, if you want a new way of thinking, you wanted to get some inspiration and really becoming a stronger leader, and then you wanted to institute innovation, innovative ideas, is also a book for you to think about. This is the same decision framework to think about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what you're doing Mm -hmm. today, and then you can constantly challenge yourself with some curiosity. Uh,
0: there, yeah, you know, I want to go back to something you said earlier about how ninety percent of all startups fail, and I would suspect that we see a lot of enterprise products also fail. Yes, and I have to say, before I read your book, I, I guess I just sort of accepted that. You know, it's almost like, uh, well, you know, you're going to go fishing sometimes, and sometimes the fish are biting, sometimes you're not biting. You know, it's inherent to the activity, but. It makes me wonder how much of that failure is inherent, like it's like, you know, you can buy a lottery ticket, you're obviously not always going to win, or how much of it is actually really about not following the best process, not listening to the Sherpa. And I'm curious if you have an opinion about, you know, is is that 90% really should be 50% or really should be only 20%, like how much of that failure is avoidable? I Guess is my question now. Of course, you any failure is avoidable if you can predict the future, if you know exactly what will work and what will not work. So, I don't mean avoidable if people had magical powers, but I mean avoidable if they just you know follow a process like the kind of thing that's in your book or those kind of best practices instead of forging ahead with so much confidence but not necessarily following the right, the best, the best processes. Do you have an opinion about that?
1: Absolutely, because I've personally worked for failing startups, right, in my career. And the the reason I was able to write this book is because of firsthand experience going through failure and success. And then that really um, prompted me to write this book. And I personally Mm -hmm. think that there are a few levels of challenges for the startup Uh, or the, the business and leaders, right? And you talk about failing product in the large enterprise world. I've gone through that myself as well. And, um, the truth is, <laughs> truth is a lot of times the initiatives took place or the company was started for the wrong reason. Right. So the, the first thing is, why are you doing this? What problem are you trying to solve? My first question is that, okay, I want to start a company or I want to initiate a product. The first question is why? Right. Mm-hmm. What is exactly the problem you're trying to solve? by creating this new product? And oftentimes the leaders cannot answer, right? When I ask them, they pause because, oh, the CEO wants to do this. Yeah, the CEO wanted to generate more growth. Did he say we need to add a new product line? No, right? And can we not think about growth in different forms? So if you dig in, ask more questions, people will start, Hesitating because they could not answer. So, I'm always like challenging the organization to ask themselves a few questions: What is your organizational strength? Is if you're a large organization, you need to understand, right? Number one, and what are the desired business outcome? Applying your strengths to this business, and what does that mean to each function? If that's the case, and are your strategic resources organized properly? And then, or where might we find the strategic resources that will give you the capability that you do not have today? And does it work the same as for your competitors? And what is the backstory of your current situation before you launch any product or start company? Those are basic questions you ask yourself, right? And are you capable of doing what you're trying to do? Do you need a partner or Sherpa, right? To show you. So these are sync like very basic questions, but it's not obvious to a lot of leaders I work with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk us so talk a little bit more about the work that you do now. So you're working with a combination of startups and large enterprises, is that right? Yes. And and why do they typically bring you in and what what is this what is it that you're doing for them?
1: Yeah, so I started uh, Taigon Advisory almost five years ago. When I started, it was a uh, startup accelerator, right? I provide mm-hmm. the service called CXO as a service to startups at the time because they could not afford, most of the startups could not afford the full um, executive st- staff members. Mm-hmm. So what they do, they pay you know my company a flat fee to say, hey, I need a, head of sales for a quarter or two and then i want to swap that into a cmo i want to swap that into a head of chief customer officer so what Mm -hmm. we do we allow them to swap people around right so that swap the skill set, people with different skill set and then uh sometimes the startup they have their head of uh, customer uh experience they're not sure is the right fit they would, you know, really get me engaged as a consultant to help mm-hmm. them assess their current executive team members. Sometimes the investors bring me in to, to help strengthen uh, their, their startup's uh, executive team. So those are the services I provide as I started the company. And then it morphed into something different um, since the pandemic. Because, uh, you know, like all these larger organizations suddenly... Uh, they need more digital presence, right? So I started coaching, uh, mentoring um, the the executives, um, working for fortune companies, and I was involved in digital transformation or sales transformation initiatives, working with them. And then uh, I'm also, because of my social media presence, um, I, um, I also enjoy writing. And then uh, many of these fortune companies engage me to write technology blogs and uh, I host my CXO Spice Talk which is a podcast like what you have but it's more geared towards technology uh, talk so I have uh, the most brilliant uh, technology leaders come to my show to share their innovation point of view on innovations Um, and then uh, I also um, work with them in different ways right? meaning that more of a brand ambassador to represent them. Uh, sometimes I speak at conferences on their behalf and then sometimes I uh, host panels on their behalf and then sometimes they send me to events on their behalf right? just to represent them, to talk to their customers. So there are different ways of getting me engaged. And I'm an open book and I would say <laughs> take whatever uh, initiative that's interesting to me. Um, it's not like it has to be certain engagement. It's uh, really depends on what it is. And last October, it was interesting, Intel invited me to host or co-host Intel innovation in San Francisco. That was by far one of the most exciting uh, engagement I had it was the two day live studio experience, right? Uh, I co-hosted with the professor from Harvard University and uh, I, I had opportunity to talk to the CTO at Intel uh and pick up his wisdom so it was really fascinating experience for me
0: wow what a great opportunity that's so cool well i i am uh, saddened to see our time has come to an end we only have a minute left on our scheduled time here on the podcast but um where if people are interested in learning more about your book or your other services and whatnot or reaching out to you or following you on twitter and whatnot uh we'll of course put your your links and stuff in the show notes but uh where where would where should they reach out to you what's the best way
1: Um, They can reach out to me through LinkedIn, uh, Hyu, or Twitter at Y-U, Helen Y-U. Or they can always find me on um, CXO Spice Talk podcast. Um, Yeah, and just feel free to reach out.
0: Fantastic. And will you be climbing Everest again, or you have another mountain in your future, or was that a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing?
1: I'm thinking of my next adventure. It will be related to mountain, but I haven't figured out which one that is. It could be in Alaska or could be South Africa or Machu Picchu.
0: Oh, Machu! I've been to Machu Picchu, but I didn't climb a mountain there, but I was there. I took the fancy train to get there. <laughs> but anyway, well, thank you so much for being here, Alan. This was fascinating. I definitely recommend your book, Ascend Your Startup. You guys can find it on Amazon and wherever you go, or uh, we'll put the links in the show notes if you wanna reach out to Helen on LinkedIn or access her Twitter or or link to her book on Amazon, et cetera. So thanks uh, so much for being here, Helen. And thanks to all of you for listening and watching, as always, the Winning Digital Customers podcast. Look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, keep transforming.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen and visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal best-selling book that inspired the podcast.